Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Good morning. All right, it's good to see you all here today. Part number four. You're going to be reading Ephesians chapter 6 a lot over the next several weeks. We're going to keep adding to it week by week as we walk through the armor of God. And our fall teaching series is called Ready for War. And our goal is that every person who is a believer in Christ will no longer lose the battle to Satan, but will begin to find themselves victorious in this spiritual battle. So far we have spent time learning that we actually are in a battle. It's vital that you know that. You're going to lose if you don't know that you're in a war right now. We've learned that our enemy, the one who is fighting against us, is deceptive and crafty. His weapons are not physical, fleshly weapons. His weapons are lying and deception and stealing and things of those nature. But we also learned last week, most importantly, that this war has already been won. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ delivered a death blow to Satan. This war is over, the victory is won, and we in Jesus Christ are victors. But we still must know how, while living in this life, how to fight. And this morning, that's what's going to really dig in and learn about, is how do we fight this spiritual battle to be the kind of warrior that we're supposed to be? What does it take to be courageous and valiant in the army of God? What does it take to be a victorious soldier? What does he or she look like? What do they act like? What do they live like? That's the question we're trying to really get into and understand today. And you know, as I begin to speak about being a courageous, strong, and valiant warrior, some of you may be conjuring up some images of what that might look like. Uh, Maybe you're turning in your mind to maybe some pop culture images. Maybe if you're a, a movie buff, you're thinking about Mel Gibson. Remember him in Braveheart? It was 20-some years ago now, but remember that movie? If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's going to take a while, but do it. And he's there with his Scottish army, and the the Scots are all saying, we can't beat the English. They just know they can't beat them. And, uh, you know, there goes back and forth on the horse Mel Gibson, who is William Wallace. And they say, we need William Wallace. And he says, I am William Wallace. And he screams at them that they may take our life, but they will never take our... Oh, that's bad. Okay. You need to watch the movie. He says, they will never take our freedom. And he courageously rides the horse. And he goes and they defeat the English. And he is so proud of himself. That's great. Okay. (laughs) Let me give you a better one. How about Russell Crowe? Ah. And the Gladiator. I do want to thank Russell Crowe for wasting 45 minutes of my week watching more clips of the Gladiator than I needed to. But... um, in the Gladiator, he is this, uh, he's next in line to be emperor um, from Marcus Aurelius. And his evil son, Marcus's evil son, kills his father and takes over as emperor of Rome. And he casts out Maximus. And he murders Maximus's family. And Maximus makes his way back through all these battles um, as a gladiator. And he finds himself in the Colosseum, and he's wearing something that covers his face, this armor that covers his face, and he's victorious over and over. And then out comes Commodus, the false emperor. And he says, show your face. Don't turn your back to me. And 
you know, Maximus is angry and he stands up and he takes his helmet off and he says, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. And he says, I'm the commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions, loyal servant to the emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance. You impressed with that? That was good, wasn't it? <laughs> Do you think about that when you think of a warrior, a valiant warrior? That's a great scene. And maybe you're not, that's not your taste in movies. Maybe you're a little softer like Clay. And um, <laughs> maybe, maybe you like Katniss, you know, from the Hunger Games. He's seen it. And maybe you like, you know, her as she's the tribute and she finds herself victorious. Or maybe even farther you like Edward and he jumps in front of the van and saves Bella or sucks the venom out of her blood. If you don't know, you don't want to know, just let it go. But these characters, right, these, when we think about being a victorious warrior, a valiant, courageous person, we start to think of characters like this. People who are, we, we revere them, but the problem is we never really actually believe that we can be them. Side note, the reason we're drawn to characters like this, have you ever noticed that? E e even to this, I'm joking about Edward in the Twilight Show, but even, even in that scene, the reason you're drawn to characters like William Wallace or Maximus or even these people is because, not because you're supposed to be them, but because one has already been them for you, Jesus Christ. Okay? That's why you're drawn to them. And we revere these characters as massive, victorious, strong, and mighty warriors, but we don't believe that we can be them. But we turn to Scripture and we find in Scripture it's full of stories about valiant warriors, people, men and women who are courageous who accomplished great things, who have done unbelievable things in the name of God. And we find something in Scripture that's interesting. That these valiant warriors in Scripture are different than the characters I just told you about. Our passage this morning from Ephesians 6, Paul is summarizing the DNA of a valiant warrior of God. And it looks different than warriors that we typically think of. It starts with this, number one, the warrior's power. The kind of power that a warrior has. This is in verse 10. A warrior has to be, regardless of the context, powerful, strong, mighty. And this is no different with the warrior of God. If you're going to be a soldier in the army of God, you're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to be mighty. You're going to have to be courageous. In fact, Paul plainly says in verse 10, be strong. Be strong. But this commandment, be strong, is different and unique in two ways. First of all, when he says be strong, it's unique in the source of the strength. He says to be, be strong in the Lord, in the Lord. You've probably heard this phrase, be strong, you can do it, be courageous, multiple times. If you go to any youth sporting event and you sit in the stands and you listen to parents, typically when they see their child out there playing, they'll yell something along those lines like, be strong or try harder, you got this. And those commands from parents to their children in that moment are calling for them to find within themselves a new level of courage and strength. When they say, be strong, get tough, you can do this, what they're saying is, inside of yourself, find a deeper level that you don't know exists. But when Paul says, be strong, he actually puts this in a passive tense. And what he means is this. You need to let yourself 
be filled with a strength that comes from outside of you. That there's no pride in this kingdom. There's no soldiers that are boastful. In fact, the strongest soldiers are ones who know that they get their strength outside of themselves. So when Paul says be strong, he says it passively, meaning let yourself be filled up with a kind of strength that comes from God outside of you. This battle will not and cannot be won on your own power, and you will lose as long as you think you can fight on your own power. You will continually lose this battle. But it's not just unique in the source of its strength. It's also unique in the kind of strength it is. He says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. His might. That word means the ability to overcome. The right kind of power to actually have victory. You know, the kind of battle that you are in determines the kind of strength that you're going to need. If you're in a powerlifting competition like Nathan Donovan, and you go over there and you're ready to powerlift, you're going to need muscular strength, right, to compete in that battle. But if you find yourself in a political or religious or some sort of educational debate, your physical muscles aren't going to do much for you. You're going to need mental strength, right? Or if you find yourself in a battle that takes a particular skill, you're going to need strength of that particular skill to do well. You see, the kind of battle that you're in determines the kind of strength that you're in. And we've learned that this battle we're in is not physical, it's spiritual. And this battle happens in your mind, where Satan wants to continue to lie to you and deceive you and tell you things that form false beliefs that make you run from God and not to God. And so you need a kind of strength that overcomes that. And that's what he provides us. Number two, the warrior's protection. The warrior's protection. Verse 11 and verse 13. So you've got a kind of power that is from the Lord. It's outside of you. And you have to have the humility to say, fill me up, Lord, with your strength, with your might. The kind of might that can defeat Satan in this battle. And we have a protection here. It starts with what you use in verse 11 and verse 13. He repeats it twice when he says to put on the whole armor of God. And he's incredibly specific here. He isn't making just some kind suggestion like, you know what? God has a resource room of armor. Have yourself at it. Grab a couple pieces. You'll love it. Just pick the ones that fit you. It'll be great. He's not generic about this or flippant. He's explicit and very specific. He says, you put on the whole That's where we get the panoply, you know, the panoply of God song. Panoply means the whole armor of God, meaning every resource that this commanding officer has laid in front of you, you've got to take all of them. Every single one of them is needed for this battle. There's not a wasted piece of armor. There's not something that's just you put on for looks or something you put on to intimidate the enemy. Every piece of armor that he has laid before you as a soldier, you've got to take it up. You've got to put it on every resource. And he says you've got to put on the armor. That is the tools and the weapons that a warrior uses. Every single one of them. And he says this armor comes from God. You see, he's specific. He doesn't just say a warrior's going to need some armor. Run out to Walmart, see what you can find. He doesn't say a warrior's going to need armor, so see if you can drum up some from some wise philosopher or some um, educated person, or maybe you have your own craftiness that has 
careful armor that you can build. He doesn't say just get some armor. He says you need the whole, all of it, armor that comes only from God. This comes from him and no other source because only God knows how to equip you in this battle. And you will lose if you're using armor other than God's. So he tells us what to use to be protected, but also how to use it. In verse 11, he gives us a command about the armor. To put on the armor of God. And then in verse 13, he the commandment. He says, take up the armor of God. Two different commandments. Two different words. The first one means, one time, all time, you put it on. That means, I'm going to wear this armor. I'm going to put it on. When I see it in front of me from my officer who has said, wear this, I'm going to look at it and say, I'm going to wear it. I'm going to put it on. So I put everything on. To take up means to engage to use it. And so to put on means to trust that it is the right armor. You see, a warrior getting ready to go out to battle does not want to waste his energy, does not want to waste space on his body. So if he looks at the armor and says, you know, I only think these three pieces will really help me, he's going to leave the other four. And what Paul is saying here is you put on, take up every bit of it. To put on the armor means to trust that it is the right armor to wear. But to take up the armor means that you actively know how to use it. You practice it. You engage with it. You train with it. No one sends a soldier out to battle before they've trained. This is stuff we've got to learn how to use, and so we've got to trust the things that God has given to us for protection and make sure we know how to use it. That's why for the next seven weeks we're going to take each piece of the armor and walk through how you practically use it. Because he wants us to say, I trust putting it on, but I also want to make sure I use it. Let me finish with this last point. So we've got the warrior's power, the warrior's protection. But what about the warrior's position? The warrior's position. See, a valiant, courageous warrior knows where to get his strength, that it comes from the Lord. And he knows what tools he's got to put on and know how to use so that he or she can fight and be victorious. This is what a valiant warrior in the army of God looks like. But the key question is not just what the warrior needs, but where does the warrior actually fight? Meaning, logistically, positionally, where does the warrior do his battle? We know the conflict is taking place where? In our minds, right? That's where this battle is taking place. That's where lies, exaggerations, hyperbole, deception is happening, and Satan is trying to lure you from in your mind. We know that's where it takes place. But what is the position of the enemy? And more importantly, what is your position? Where are you standing? You see, Paul says three times, this is not a typo, put on the whole armor of God, take up the whole armor of God, so that you will be able to, with all certainty, to stand. And this is not a typo. This is not just some language that Paul fit in there because it's poetic and it rhymes or it fits. He picked this word to stand, to withstand, and to stand firm on purpose. Because to stand means to hold a position that has already been won. Now this is important, so you've got to get this. How do you imagine your position in this spiritual battle? How how do you picture it in your mind? 
How do you think about it when you're in a war with Satan? How do you view and have what's your vision of what life looks like as a warrior in the army of God? Because having the correct picture will make all the difference. So I wanted to actually take just a quick moment to try to draw a picture for you to see it, okay? So we're going to try this. I want you to imagine, okay, this is our world, okay? That's where we live. Can you guys see over here? I'll get out of the way. And typically we see uh, the mountain there as, let's call that Mount Zion. That's the, uh, the biblical word for heaven, right? And there we see the presence of God and eternal life. We'll have peace and joy. The fullness of agape and love is there. And typically we picture ourselves where? Here, right? And then we have to take what we call the journey of life. And as we go through life, we're hoping to make our way and finally reach there. Now pause for a second. This is why the analogies in Scripture are so important. There are, there are some analogies about life that speak of running a race, right? Like Paul talks about running the race of life, and that would be like the end goal is heaven and we run this race, or the analogy of being the farmer where the seed is planted and over time the plant grows and hopefully that plant produces fruit. The analogy of war is not designed to be viewed this way. It's different. But typically, here's what we see. So we're here and they're there, and what we have are some demons against us. He's pretty scary, isn't he? And this guy, we're walking along life, and I'm a certain age, and I'm, I'm charting through my life, and this guy says, hey, if you lie on your taxes, you'll have a little bit more money in your pocket. Or, you know what, if you fudge your resume, you might get a better job. Or, these people will not be impressed with you unless you lie about yourself, and then they'll finally like you. And Satan starts to tell us to lie. And we lie for a while. We, oh, man, I need to get over this. And so maybe we defeat with the army of God or the, the armor of God that one. But then shows up lust. And all of a sudden I get a smartphone or a laptop and there's pictures on the screen that I should not be looking at. And it entrenches deep and not to my mind but my soul. And it promises me that if I have this thing that it's not mine, that I'll finally be satisfied and I'm never satisfied. And I just need more and more and more. And lust continues to take us out. But maybe we beat him too. Then we have addiction. Sure, there's the obvious ones, right? Like addiction to drugs or alcohol, which are really just a human's way of saying, I don't want to face what I'm afraid of, what I'm scared of, what I'm unhappy about, what I've been hurt by. And so I'm going to numb myself with a product, maybe alcohol or drugs, but maybe work, maybe money. Maybe food. Maybe laziness. We just escape by returning to things that are not God. But may we beat him and then gossip shows up and says, you know what, to really feel better about yourself, what you have to have is people under you. And so go find some people who will listen to you and talk about a person who's not there in a way that lowers them so that all of a sudden because they're lower you feel what? Better. But then scripture convicts you and you say, you know what, i got to get in control of this. And you beat that guy and then all of a sudden pride shows up. And you say, man, <laughs> look at all these people who call themselves Christians. Look at all these demons I beat, right? And now I'm at the end and I am like the older brother. And I say, God, I've all these years labored for you and you've never given me all the things that I've ever wanted. And there's all these people that are blessed, not like, and I'm not blessed like them. And you should give me more. And now I've got pride. And maybe you beat pride, and guess what? It never stops. And if you view life this way, how many of you in here are going to make it to the top of the mountain? 
Show of hands. Me either. Can I show you a different picture? That is the mountain. That's the hill. And before it became Zion, it was called something else. It was called Calvary. And there was somebody who walked that hill. And it wasn't me and it wasn't you. His name was Jesus. And he walked up that hill all alone with clean hands and a pure heart, perfect righteousness, subject to the most unjust, undeserved, vile death anybody could experience. And he did that to conquer Mount Zion for you. Where do you stand right now? Now watch. These guys are still here. Okay? But the only thing they can do in this analogy of war is lure you off the mountain to them. The best way for you to see this is um, the cartoon Tom and Jerry. There's a short entitled called A New Leash on Life. And Tom is sitting at the kitchen table. He's reading the newspaper. And he sees on the front page of the newspaper, uh, the article says, New City Ordinance. All dogs must wear a leash. And Tom loves this. And so he rolls up the newspaper. He walks out of the table of the dining room and he goes out to Spike. You remember Spike, the bulldog that's kind of not very smart, but pretty angry. And he walks up to Spike and he looks and Spike has a leash and he's pouting about it. And he uh, grabs the leash and he pulls on the dog box and he realizes it's really tight. And then he grabs the leash and he sees the collar and he pulls it onto Spike and he's like, oh, that's tight too. And then Tom measures the length of the leash then he steps off how far the leash is, and he draws a line in the dirt, and he stands behind the line, and he grabs the newspaper, and he whack, smikes, he strikes uh, Spike. And Spike goes, rah, 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 rah. and Tom just stands there. He's right in his face. He's barking. He's screaming. But he knows where he's standing. Spike can't get him. So he grabs symbols and he slams his head and he grabs a pie and he puts it in his face and he grabs a pipe and puts it in his mouth and his teeth break. And then he goes off chasing Jerry. He's chasing Jerry. He's got a bell stuck in his body. It's great. You should go watch it. It's on YouTube. And, um, and, and all of a sudden he's running around chasing Jerry, chasing Jerry. And guess what Spike does? Spike erases the line. Takes two big steps back and draws a new line. And, Jerry, and Tom is running, 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 chasing Jerry. And he runs past Spike, and he sees the line. He goes, er, he stops. And he's like, oh, I can't wait. Grabs the newspaper, hits Spike, and boom, Spike has him. How did Spike get him? Deception. Deception. You only turn to these things when you believe a lie, that lust or lying or addiction or pride or gossip, is better than Jesus Christ. So when you're tempted, when you're drawn, when you feel like turning to sin, in that moment, here's the question you ask yourself, what lie am I believing right now that's taking me off the mountain away from God? What lie am I believing? And if you'll ask that question every moment you feel tempted, every time, whatever your temptation is, if you'll ask the question, what lie am I believing, you will disarm the power of Satan. You will stand firm you got to get this picture in your mind that you are not down here at the bottom hoping one day with your energy and your might and your strength to maybe make it to the top of the mountain. No, no, no. There was one who climbed that mountain already for you. And he owns that place. And he says, I want you to stand 
in conquered ground and don't ever leave. If you find yourself being defeated, being drawn off the mountain over and over, would you let some of your Christian family help you, please? Would you let us help you show you scripture and talk truth with you and pray with you and walk with you so that you'll stop believing lies and start having victory? And if you're not on this mountain yet, stop trying to climb it yourself because you won't get there. Let Jesus introduce you to a conquered land where everything you've ever wanted resides. Let's stand and sing.